Please be seated, everyone. Greetings with joy, joy, joy. Y'all sound a little tired. <laughs> How many of you want to go 9, 10, 11 days? Oh, some of you, some of you. You charge your batteries, you could go another day. All right, that's excellent. So what I am thinking is that all of you, all of you, have helped me have an outstanding Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I do have a question, though. Is outstanding a British word, or is that an American word? Do you all use that in America? I was, I was thinking I might have to translate to, and go, like, for the American people, and, and go supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Now, do you all know that word? How many of you know that word? All right, how many of you can say that word with me? Ready? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Now, I hope that was the kind of feast you had, because that was the kind of feast I had. Now, how many of you actually believe the words of the hymn we just sung? Yeah, sure. Make good words. Right. Who wrote that anyhow? You can see it down at the bottom, right? You can see, and you can see when it was written. And then you have to kind of ask, what did they know that we didn't know? Right? I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like scripture, 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 scripture. I mean, it is just locked on. So, in verse 1 there, it says, we have a story to tell to the nations. All right, who are the nations? Anybody want to tell me? Who? You? He's the nations. Who else is the nations? Okay, we are. Okay, who else is the nations? We surely are not a nation in here. What? Everybody else in the world. Okay, isn't that great? Now, wouldn't it, uh, wouldn't it be exciting to actually do what the song said? Take the message to all the nations? Wouldn't that be fabulous? All right, a little further down, it says, uh, and shall turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy. How many of you think that God is a little bit merciful? All right, how many of you think God is a whole lot merciful? How many of you think God is more merciful than you are? Oh, pray, praise the Lord, let that be true. Okay, so God is very merciful, God is very great. Okay, a story of peace and light. We had peace and light here at the Feast of Tabernacles. A story of peace and light. Okay, next one. Oh, down the bottom in the refrain, it says, I love this, and Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth. That's what we've been doing for seven days. We've been focusing in on scriptures that point out how and when and where and why and the ins and outs of the coming of the great kingdom of God on earth. Does planet earth need somebody in the White, <laughs> White House? All right, forget I said that. Okay, let's try. Uh, does planet earth need some world president who knows what he's doing? Yes, right, okay. So that's what this is singing about. Christ's great kingdom will come on earth, a kingdom of love and light. Those are really two fantastic words, aren't they? Love. How, much, how many of you know anything about love? Anybody? A couple of you? Okay. All right. Hopefully, later on in life, you'll learn a whole lot more about love. 
Some of you don't have much time. Okay. Um, and then light. How many, of, how many of you love light except first thing in the morning or when you're sick, right? Right. Okay. Um, how many of you think that's an intravenous coffee machine? I wish it was. All right. How many of you can actually see that light? Wow. All right. Woo. All right. I thought it might be too dim. Okay. In verse number three, it says, We have a message, message to give to the nations that the Lord, who reigneth above, hath sent his Son to save us. John 3.16, glorious verse, right? And show us that God is love. Now, I dare say that most of us in this room believe that God, we believe that God is love. Whatever, whatever we think that means, we believe that God is love. Now, there are a lot of people in the nations out there who, A, don't believe there is a God. And if they do believe there's a God, they're not very pleased with him because they don't think he's very loving. Why would there be drought? Why would there be war? Why would people get old? Why would people die? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of questions that can be answered by the Bible with a little bit of study. Right? But a lot of people don't believe that if there is a God, a lot of them will say it, if there is a God, right? then why would he let war? I just I can't believe in a God that would allow war. <laughs> well, how about a God who allows you to cut in on somebody on the highway? <laughs> right? He could stop you. He could stop you. You go, I, I'm in a hurry. You know, I've got to get to work. Right? Ah, there's a car. There's a tiny hole between the car in front of me and the car in front of it. I'm going to cut right in there. You know? And God could just weaken your accelerator. And you go, oh, oh no, I'm out of gas. You know, and a couple of seconds later, you're still behind the first car. It's like, accelerating now. I don't understand this. You know? God can do all kinds of good stuff. It's, it's wonderful. Because, you know, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to because he wants you to learn how to control the gas pedal for yourself out of love and light, based on love and light. Okay, um, let's see, the fourth verse. We have a savior to show to the nations because they don't understand him. They really don't. A lot, a lot of the nations do not understand him. Okay, uh, the path of, so, let's see, this, who the path of sorrow trot, that all of the world's great peoples, all of the world's great peoples, uh, does that include Chinese? Uh, would that, it would, wouldn't it? That would include Chinese people. And Russians? Australians? Yeah, sure. Right? That includes everybody. It doesn't just include everybody alive now, like seven billion of us. It includes all of those Chinese, Russians, Japanese, Africans for 6,000 years. Is that a lot of people? That's a lot of people, isn't it? All right? Yeah, I can't wait to see them. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun that day, I'll tell you. Okay, um, verse 4, down the bottom, that might come, come to the truth of God, that they might come to the truth of God. Is that exciting? That's exciting. This song is like layering upon layer upon layer upon what we teach and what we think and what we believe and where we want this to go. might come to the truth of God, right? Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's really, I mean, when I saw this up on the screen earlier, I thought, wow, this is dynamite. I've got to tear up my old notes and start with some new ones <laughs> because it's just powerful. So um, how many of you here believe that God Almighty, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, want to have a loving relationship with you for all eternity?
eternity. How many of you actually believe that? Down to your toenails, I hope. Because, because that's what he keeps talking about. That's what he says. That's where we're going. That's what he wants. He keeps hammering it. He keeps hammering it. He says no. But he, but he sort of works in a little, you know, if you read the fine print in God's word, it's like, love God. Oh, yes, I love God. Yes, I love God. Yes. And then he says, uh, oh, wait, you can't love God huh? unless you love your neighbor. Oh, man, you don't know my neighbor. He's awful, you know, but that's the way God says. Here's the package deal. If you're going to learn to love God Almighty, who wants you to live in a loving relationship with him for all eternity, you must learn how to love your neighbor. Oh, good, I got a nice neighbor. He's, you know, he's, in fact, the neighbor's wife. Oh, we shouldn't go there. Okay, um, okay, what about, he also has a little fine print, if you read a little further down, it says, now I want you to love your enemies. <laughs> what? You are kidding me. Oh, come on, there's got to be somebody I can hate. No, no, you have to love your enemies and do good to them and pray for your enemies. Oh, God, what are you doing? You know, he's trying to build you into a, oh, I can't say it that way because, yeah, okay, some of you know what I would have said. Okay, uh, he's trying to build you into a love mechanism, right? He wants you to get out of bed day after day after day after day, year after year after year, and love people. Right? It's easy to do with your grandchildren. It's easy to do on a good day, on a bad day, like a bad hair day or whatever the guys have. The guys, what do you have? No hair <laughs> Some people have that all the time. But anyhow, they get out of bed and they have a bad hair day for the ladies. All right? So <clears throat> we, I think, would be extremely happy if, if telling this story to all the nations began tomorrow. And most of us go, yeah, that'd be great. Ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen, right? How is it gonna happen? We don't understand how it's gonna happen, right? But God is gonna do it. Not tomorrow. Don't, don't get up in the morning and say that Ian Afton, he said, to, now it's gonna start, right? I'm, you know, I'm going to watch for this starting. No, he's going to do it. But he's going to do it after a thousand years. And we'll see that soon in a little bit. But first, I want to digress. All these wonderful messages that I have been hearing this feast and all the wonderful smiles I've seen on your faces and all the wonderful stories and not so wonderful stories, but the, tough, the fact that you toughed out those stories and you're still here and you want to serve God and you want to do what God says, right? They have excited me, so I have decided to come up here in front of you and let my light shine. And some of you say you can actually see that. Now what's really curious about this thing is that if you cover off its light source, it just barely flickers, just a very little tiny flicker, 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 flicker to where, let's see, okay, can you see that? Yeah? You see, can you see that? It's amazing. It, you know, if you totally cover up and give it total blackness there, it goes to its full brightness. But it has several layers down there. And that's how, that's how my love is. Right? I'm a human. Most of you figure that out by now. I'm a human. And my love varies from day to day, from hour to hour. And there are some people I just, I just love this much. Right? There's other people I love this much. 
and there's some people I have trouble loving, right? Um, and so some days I'm a little brighter than other days. And, and during the feast, somebody asked, how big is God? Right? And, and I went, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that anybody knows how big God is. And I don't know that he would appreciate you guessing at how big he is. Right? So then I modified the question a little bit and I said, I wonder how big God's love is. See, because we've got two scriptures in the Bible that say God is love. Right? So if you want a one-word definition, nice simple four-letter word too. Right? If you want a one-word definition for how to understand God Almighty, the Father in heaven, it's like love. What's God like? Love. Uh, yeah. What do you mean love? How much love? You know, what kind of love? Okay, and I thought, maybe I can come up with an analogy that sort of, that helps people get an idea of maybe a little bit of how much God's love he's got. Right now, right outside, the sun is shining. And if you went over to the window and you stuck your hand out the door there, you could put your hand inside the sunshine. Your hand would be in the sun. And if the temperature's warmed up a little bit, if it's really cold, cold air, you can't, you don't feel warmth of the sun so much, right? But on a good old Texas 112 day, 112 degree day, you put your hand outside in the sun and it is hot, <laughs> right? But you can feel the heat. Now, how, who knows how far away the sun is? Anybody? Yes. There you go, 93, he's counted it, right? That's it. 93 million miles. So there's the sun right out there, the burning furnace, sending out light and heat, right? And you step outside on a nice day and you put your hand out in the sun and you feel the warmth of that sun. Are you the only one on the planet that can do that? Can only one person put their hand in the sun at any one time? Or, or can millions and billions of people stand in the sun and feel the heat of the sun all at the same time? I believe that's a little bit of what God's love is like. Right? We're using a physical analogy, but, but God has immense, awesome amount of love for all of his created beings, all the nations. And he wants this song to come to be. Okay, so... If billions of people can be warmed by the sun, we want to have billions of people warmed by the love of God. In Colossians 2.16 and 17, 2.16 mentions festivals and Sabbaths. And 17 says, which are a shadow of things to come. Most people read this verse far too quickly. They need to read it one word at a time, right? And it says, which are... A shadow, now you can play with the word shadow all you want, right? But the next words are of things to come, and you really can't play with those words. Those words of things to come say festivals and Sabbath are pointers, indicators of what's coming, like future events. Trumpets festival that we had earlier in this month. Trumpet festival points to an awesome, magnificent, in fact, the most incredible day planet Earth will ever experience because the face of Jesus Christ will show up in the sky for the first time in power, in light, and in love. 
Right? Atonement points to a future event. Tabernacles, we've had seven days of tabernacles. Tabernacles points to that great 1,000-year period of peace on earth, no more war, Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. The eighth day, now we're in the eighth day. Now, oddly enough, we, we don't pay much attention to the eighth day. We just keep on cruising, <laughs> right? Because when the sun set last night, it's like, that is it. Your Feast of Tabernacles is done. All right, get out your new equipment, put up the new sign that says, welcome to the eighth day, right? And you go, day eight. Okay, day seven, day eight. What, yeah, whatever, whatever. What's the big problem here? Well, the meaning behind the eighth day is pointing to what God is going to be doing after the thousand years is over. All right, in Leviticus 23, 36, we see a mention of the eighth day. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation, i.e. come before God in a rehearsal meeting like we're doing today on the eighth day. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 18, <coughs> it mentions there, they kept the feast seven days. Ooh, what could that be? Feast of Tabernacles. And when that was done, and on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly. So there's just a few tiny little spots in Scripture. If you're not looking for them, you won't even find them, right? You've got to know where to look, and you've got to know study, and you've got to realize that God wants festivals kept. Then we go to John 7:37, and it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, this is it, you're here. You are sitting here in that great day of the feast. This is, this is the awesome last come before God rehearsal meeting before what? For Halloween. <laughs> right? Every year Halloween starts a month early. I expect in a couple of years Halloween will start in May. You go into a store and it's like, oh, I walked into the wrong store. This, this is a Halloween store. You know, no, they just moved all the Halloween displays to where you have to trip over them to get into the store to find out what else is in the store. So, <coughs> um, yeah, why the world is just caught up on, we got to have Halloween. You know, a little gal, a little teenage gal said, I love to be scared on TV just a day or two ago. I love to be scared. It's like, yeah, the day before that, I saw the people running out of the hair salon where the guy was in there killing people, which apparently happened a week before that, but I, I'm a little slow, and they showed it a day or two ago, so that's when I watched it. But, you know, you want to be scared as long as you're safe, <laughs> right? Who wants to be scared when you're not safe, <laughs> right? Well, that's a different matter. Hey, make me safe and then scare me. I, you know, leave. They, they can have all of that. I'm, I, I, I like the peace and light stuff and the love stuff. That's the good stuff for me. So Jesus stood and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, something a lot of people miss in scripture is this was the last high holy day commandment keeping festival, rehearsal festival that Jesus would ever stand in front of the crowd. This was his last chance to address the big crowd at the temple because the next festival is Passover and he was going to be dead Passover afternoon. He was going to be a criminal as Passover morning began. He was going to be condemned to death 
And it wasn't a holy day anyhow, it was a festival day. It's, it's a festival day on Passover and then comes the first holy day, which is the next day, first day of unleavened bread. And he was dead and in the tomb. So he would not ever have another chance to physically address the crowd. And so this is what he said. And look at the, look at the crowd's response. In John 7:40, many said, truly, this is the prophet. They were expecting, as predicted in the Old Testament, that a prophet would come and help them figure out all the problems. And right now, they were under the control of the Roman Empire. If Caesar said, off with his head, boy, that was good timing. <laughs> he flashed there just as, just as I did that. So that would be a real good shot. You know. Anyhow, they were under Julius Caesar and the other Roman emperors. And, and uh, if they said, go kill all those Jews, what are you going to do? You know, so it was, it was really tough time. In verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. There were a bunch of people in Jerusalem on that great last day who said, you know, it doesn't matter what the mucky mucks say, this is the Christ. This was the Christ. Okay, roll the camera a little bit further down and we come through the winter, we come through Passover, we come through unleavened bread, and we end up at Pentecost. Right? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Something happened. What? Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit. How about people? 3, what? 3,000. Good, excellent. 3,000 people got baptized and made a covenant with Jesus Christ. And the church started to grow like a rocket. Right? And that's kind of what our song is saying. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's tell the stories to the nation and get them. To, to turn to righteousness, get them to turn to Jesus and God and his love and light and peace and happiness. Let's do this. So it's God's theme. It's a perfectly beautiful God's theme hymn that we sang, and it's what God wants. And he kicked it all off with that first Pentecost after his death. All right? Now, in the last seven days, in the little bit of this day here, God has been stirring up our love for him, and our love for people. Now, you know, all these people in this room, you're all lovable, right? Thank you for being lovable. Because, <laughs> you know, you could be mean and nasty if you really tried. <laughs> but you've been rejoicing so much, you've almost forgotten how to be mean and nasty, right? A couple of mornings from now, you'll wake up and the old mean and nasty will have you by the throat, right? <laughs> Well, all right, it'll have me, it'll do me. I'll just talk about me. So this festival is when God stirs up about his great love for the lost. Right? Now, a lot of people have opinions about what God is going to do with the lost. But, but let's take a Chinese girl, two years of age, 400 years ago in China, in her village, they have never heard that there are Jews on the planet. They have never heard that the word Jesus. They don't know Jesus came from heaven and suffered and died. They don't know what a Bible is. They don't know nothing. And this poor little two-year-old girl in China gets cholera and dies. What do you want to do with her? You just, you just want to throw her away? You want, you want to teach her 
She's part of the nation. She's one little person, right? You want to teach her the truth about God? God does. God does. And he's got a plan for her. And he wants to bring her back to life. She's dead now. She's in the grave. A lot of people tell you she's somewhere else. I don't know how they figure that. But anyhow, in Revelation 20, verse 5, we come to the verse that says, this is, this is Jesus telling John how it all works, right? And he says, okay, John, I want you, I want you to pay close attention. We should all read slowly when we go to this. Revelation 20, verse 5, it says, the rest of the dead. Okay. If we had time, we could study a couple of verses ahead of this, and it would show us that in the first resurrection, a whole bunch of people came out of the graves, were given spirit being bodies like you see in 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, I want one of them. Oh, boy, I can see some of us guys going, how fast will yours go? You know. <laughs> Well, I took it out for a spin the other day, and I went to Alpha Centauri and back in a nanosecond. Whew, man, that is one hot machine. I like this body, you know. And God says you can keep that body for all eternity and never get old and die and sick and never have all those, you know, arthritis and all those other things. It's just going to be a perfect body for all eternity. So the rest of the dead did not live again. Now, if you, if you listen really closely here, it says the rest of the dead people, so God, Jesus is saying there are dead people, right? Okay, they did not live again, right? So part of the definition of dead is not living, right? Now, down in Texas, we have armadillos upside down all over the place, right? And, and you know, they got in the wrong place and some car or truck, boom! And somehow or other, they die and roll over and they face the sky like that, whatever. Maybe they're waiting, waiting for resurrection. I don't see that happening, but anyhow. Okay, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So there is, if we studied it and we do that on Trumpets Festival, there's a resurrection of dead people, those in Christ, are resurrected at the beginning of the thousand years. We're, we're focusing on the verse that is the end of the thousand years. So the rest of the dead people didn't live again until the thousand years were over. Or in other words, they did live again. They were dead for that thousand year period, and a lot of them have been lot, dead a lot longer. You know, I mean, Adam and Eve's folks, you know, how long have they been dead? They've been dead 6,000 years, right? And then they've got to wait another thousand years. So they're going to be dead 7,000 years when they come up. You can show them your cell phone. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. When you show Paul, the apostle, the internet and all that stuff, man, he's going to go, why didn't you reach the nations before Jesus came, you know? <laughs> oh, well, we were a little slow, you know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the rest of the dead are going to live again. This festival is to stir us up about God's massive reactivation program. Right? Billions upon billions of people will slowly appear before our eyes. And, you know, people question me on say, well, how come you say slowly, right? Well, how do we, we know that? Because in Ezekiel 37, verse 6, it says, okay, you, you really have to read the whole chapter, but I'm hoping some of you are already familiar with the chapter, but, but you can read it later on anyhow. 
we jump in in verse 6, and Ezekiel 37, 6 says, I will, this is God speaking, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. So what is this? This is dead people. And if you start at the beginning of the chapter, there's a whole bunch of bones lying in a valley, right? So them bones, them bones, right? You know the song. Okay, anyhow, <coughs> he says, here's what I'm going to do with these bones. I'm going to reconnect your bones, if, you know, not you. I mean, you're already connected, right? But, but the dead people, they're going to get their bones reconnected in the right places, and then they're going to have sinew on them, and then they're going to have flesh on them and cover them with skin, and then put breath in them, and they shall live. Because you don't want bones just living by themselves. Because, you know, I mean, how would you feel? The elevator door opens and there's just the bones. <laughs> oh, sounds like Halloween again, doesn't it? All right, so... These people start their second life at the end of the thousand years by knowing their creator, right? And the last part of verse 37, uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 6, it says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord, Lord Jesus, right? And I picture it a little bit like an, like an orchestra. You know, you've all seen a conductor in, in front of an orchestra any time lately. Yeah, uh, they're all, the, you know, it's much, much bigger crowd, more instruments, and, you know, the whole room is full of, of musicians, and out comes the penguin-looking guy, right, with his baton, right, <laughs> tap, tap, you know, everything's quiet, and then the maestro, the conductor, and it roars into life. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing on this second resurrection, day, eighth day, the eighth day picturing the second resurrection, he's, he's going to conduct this event little by little. And so when the bones are put together and they have the skin and all the rest of the stuff and they've got breath in them and then they're fully functional like you are after two or three cups of coffee, some of you, right? Okay, you're fully, they're fully functional but they're standing there and he says then you're going to know it was me, Jesus, the Lord, what brought you out of your graves now. Are you going to be grateful or not? Right? I mean, it's a good start at life. Most of us didn't start life this way. We had to learn a bunch of stuff. Okay, Ezekiel 37, 7 says, So I prophesied to, and I commanded, and as commanded, and I, I, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together. This is making a terrific movie, right? The bones are coming together. Okay, bone upon bone. Verse 8. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, <gasps> but there was no breath in them. Now, you, later on it says they stood up, so they're still lying on the ground. So we got a whole bunch of bones comes together, and then God coats them, puts the, the right stuff in the right places, right? Now we got what might look like, you know, all right, we won't go there. Okay, just looks like a whole bunch of bodies that are not breathing, right? So somebody's pushed the pause button because in verse 9 he says, okay, this, we've got this far. There's no breath in them. They're not alive. We want them alive. So we've got to take it to the next step. Right? And, and I, I firmly believe a whole bunch of you are going to be there that day, this day. When this day is actually coming to being, you know, God, God will probably prompt you a little bit and say, you know, if, if somebody misses a bone, make sure you fix that up or whatever. You know, get, them, get them all put together properly. Right? And, and then <laughs> verse 9 he says, um, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the breath, and uh, oh breath, breath, 
breathe on these slain. They, they're dead people. They're not living. They're sort of half alive. I mean, they've got everything they need except breath. They just need a little CPR and boom, off they go, right? So, so breathe on these slain that they may live. So he's bringing billions and billions of nations, peoples, back to life, right? So that they can fulfill this song. So that people can teach them all the fabulous things about God, right? So multiple billions will begin breathing on that day. Boy, I hope there's no oxygen on the planet. How much oxygen is there? Are we going to be short of oxygen? There, there should be enough oxygen, shouldn't there? You know, I mean, you remember, remember Ross Perot said, you'll hear this sucking sound? Remember he said that? Right? Well, in this case, these billions and billions of people for the last 7,000 years, or 6,000 years plus the next 1,000 years, right? They, they're all going to be lying on the ground, and then, then the, he, he prophesies, and he says, come on, you all start breathing, right? And, and all of a sudden, this whole crowd goes, <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I don't know whether the trees will bend or what, you know, but it's going to be massive. So, let's see, where were we? Verse 9. Um, now, what you've got to think about is, this is Judgment Day, too. A lot of people heard a lot about Judgment Day. This is the eighth day, picturing the Judgment Day, picturing the second Resurrection Day. And there's going to be a lot of people in this crowd lying on the ground that you know. You know. How many? Okay. Is anybody in the room here who's, who's had a loved one die and not been in Jesus when they died? Anybody? My mother, my father. You know, I never knew my father, but I'm eager to learn you know, what my father was like because he died when I was a baby. But, I, you know, I'm going to be there as a spirit being body, as it says in First Corinthians 15. And, and uh, you know, this, this is a beautiful picture of bringing these people back to life. And, you know, I mean, is, is Jesus going to say, Ian, I don't want you anywhere near your mother? <laughs> you know, I don't see him, I don't see him doing that because I will have learned how to be sweet and gentle and kind and say, Hey, Mama, come on, stand up here. Is that you, Ian? You know, it's going to be great. And think of all the loved ones that you can hold, you know, put your hand out and help them stand up. And they're going to be confused. They're just going to be confused because in their memory banks, the last thing they're remembering is just before they died. And in cancer cases, that was horrible. In the, you know, men have been fighting with swords and sticks and spears and stabbing each other and hit lying on the ground and bleeding out and dying for thousands of years. That's the last memory they got in their brain and now they're standing on their feet and they're breathing, right? Now what it doesn't say is whether they got clothes on or not. Does it? I, did it say, I will put skin and clothes on them? It didn't say, did it? Now, it's kind of humbling if you're standing there with no clothes on. It's like, oh, you know. Um, so, but these people will pay attention to the conductor, the orchestra conductor, Jesus. They will pay attention. They'll be like, oh, shoot, look at all this dirt on me. I just got pulled out of the grave. I'm alive again, you know. Um, okay, so in your Bibles, we're going to uh, take a few more verses here. It says, so I prophesied, this is verse 10, I prophesied and he commanded and they lived and they stood, okay, this is where they stand on their feet. An exceedingly great army. 
Is that a British understatement or what? Right? I mean, exceedingly great army. Billions of people who were lost when they died and went into the graves. Verse 12 says, uh, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, all, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Now, this is primarily written for Israelitish. It was written in the Old Testament. So it's primarily directed to Israelitish people who die and wonder, what's next? Here it is, Ezekiel 37. This is what's next for a lot of those uh, Israelitish people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. So wherever you died, I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. Verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord, the constant theme here. When I have opened your graves, constant theme, I opened your grave, I opened your grave, you came up out of the grave, you, you know, okay, and uh, my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Then we go down to verse 23. It says, um, now, they shall not defile themselves anymore. Been a lot of that over the years, right? With their idols or with detestable things, nor will any of their transgression, uh, transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And he's going to be able to love them. It's, it's like you go out on a beautiful spring day and you stand in the sunshine and, and you just, just close your eyes and just drink in the warmth of the sun. God is going to say, my people, listen to me this time. You didn't listen very good last time, or some of you didn't have a clue. You didn't have anything to listen to back in those days, the Chinese people and so on. There was nothing to listen to. Okay, verse 25 says, and they shall dwell in the land. What land? The land of Israel, talking about the Israelites. And I've given them to Jacob, my servant, and your father's well, and they shall dwell there, and their children. Oh, that's good. Family picture here. Oh, and there's children's children. So picture, you know, grandpa and his children and his children. And this is a big family do. This is, you know, because we've got lots of people here. Okay. Um, forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. King David's going to rule over all of Israel in the next life. In this life. And, you know, when these people come together... He's not only will he be ruling over all of them for, for a thousand years during the millennium, but then when this event occurs and all these billions come out of the grave and all of these old Israelites come out of the grave, King David will rule over them. And some of them won't even know who King David was because they lived before King David was. <laughs> but say, this is King David. Oh, okay. Read the book. This is King David. Learn about King David. Don't worry about that Bathsheba stuff. You know, that's, he repented. It's over and done with. Okay, verse 28. The nations will know that I am the Lord. They're going to know Jesus. There's going to be no way out of this. They will know. Uh, the Lord that sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst, in their midst forever. And one translation I looked at said, the, oh, okay, it says right there in the beginning of verse 28, the nations, right? And that's our, that's our theme for today. We're talking about the nations are going to see the Israelitish nation ruled by Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem with King David under him ruling all of the tribes of Israel and they're going to live righteously and all the nations, if you look in Zechariah, I didn't have it in my notes, but in Zechariah 14 it says after the battle of Armageddon, which is what a lot of people call it, God doesn't call it that, but after the battle of Armageddon he sends out a message and he says 
all you nations, including Egypt, right, come to the Feast of Tabernacles to worship the king during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Now, yeah, most of you go, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, right? Okay, think about the people who live in Egypt right now. Huh? They are Muslim. Okay, the battle is over, the world is a wreck, and Jesus sends out a message and says, hey, Mr. Muslim, you need to come over to Jerusalem, the Jewish capital of the world. And you need to come over and keep the Jewish festival of tabernacles, and you need to worship the Jewish King Jesus. Do you see why in Zechariah 14 it says, oh, if you don't want to come, there'll be no rain for a year. <laughs> right? People understand food. They do. If you take away the food, they pay attention. You leave them with all the food they got, they don't pay attention. So God knows how to work with people, and he will work with them, and he will help them to get on with the picture. Now I, I'm, now I'm jumping back. We're going back to the end of the thousand years and the beginning of the festival of um, you know, what, we're, what we're doing here today on the last great day, the eighth day, which is picturing and pointing to this uh, second resurrection. Now possibly 99% of all... All right, somebody messed with my notes. I knew that was going to happen. You just can't trust people anymore. All right, here we go. All right, so this day demonstrates God's great love for our loved ones. You know, my mama, I, 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 I was the black sheep of the family, and I got my Bible, and I got my suit on, and on Saturday morning I trucked off to church. And I could hear my stepfather and my mother going, that boy's gone crazy. You know? and, and, and mother every now and then she said, now, now, exactly why do you do this, you know? And I explained a little bit, and she said, oh, I'm too old to change. I'm just too old to change. Well, she's not going to be too old to change in the second resurrection. She's going to have like 100 years out ahead of her, and, and she's going to see her shiny son, right? I'm going to have an angelic body, and, and instead of this, you know, instead of this little teeny-weeny, little bitty shiny light thing you can barely see. Now, if everything went black, this was midnight, we won't be here till midnight. Okay, don't worry. Okay, if everything was black, this, this light would actually help you find your way around the room. You wouldn't have to stub your toe on the chairs. It'd be great. Okay, but, but I'll be shiny being then. And, my, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking like this, you know, which won't get Mother too excited, and, and I go, um, Mama, you really need to get with the program. Look, I just, I just want to do what I want to do. I could turn up my shine a little bit. You know? Oh, 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 son, you're on fire. It's all right, Mama. I can control it. I'll turn it down. How did you do that? God made me a spirit being with an angelic body. I can do all kinds of things. What do you want to see next? You know, but pretty soon Mama's going to say, this ain't normal. <laughs> things are different. Maybe you do know what you're talking about. Right? And, and so we can work with people, our loved ones. Um, my dad, you know can't wait for the first minute I look into my dad's eyes. <sighs> okay, let's move on. So each one of you can think about people that you love that died without true knowledge of God. God loves them too. He loves the nations. He loves everybody who ever was created, you know, everyone who, who was born on planet Earth from the very beginning onwards. They're all his 
physical children. He wants them to become his spiritual children, and that takes a process, and he's going to give them an opportunity to go through that process, like, like even the song. The song tells the process, right? Remember? The, the song said to bring them to the knowledge of truth and light and, and to help them understand how it all works, right? And well, that's what this eighth day is pointing to and picturing. And, and God loves them. In Second Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some people count slackness, but he's long-suffering. Long-suffering. How long is long-suffering? Try 6,000 years, right? God is long-suffering. But at the end of that period of time, on the day of trumpets, I believe, he's going to come out of the sky. And his long-suffering is over. And it's like, you want to fight? Come on! Right? And the humans, it's unbelievable. You can read in the book of Revelation. The humans go, oh, we're being invaded from outer space. We've got to go down there and kill that thing. And they'll load up their rocket launchers and their tanks and their bazookas and their stuff. And they'll come over the river Euphrates, which God will very kindly dry up for them. They'll come quickly over the river Euphrates. And they'll come on down to the place Armageddon, which is the Valley of Jezreel. And then they'll decide, tomorrow morning we attack Jerusalem. And then they'll send their troops down there. And Zechariah, if you want to know what happens to those troops, check out your Zechariah. It's very interesting. Okay, so possibly 99.99% of all humans who have ever lived will be coming up in that second resurrection and standing there. Right? Said a very great number of people. <laughs> very great. Okay, so Judgment Day, Second Resurrection Day is like multiple billions of people hearing Jesus say to them, I brought you up out of your grave, so listen up, right? In John 5, 20, 28, it says, The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Whose voice? Jesus' voice. And come forth. They're coming out of their graves. Now, he says this in real short term, and you've got you to look in other places to put it all together. Those who have done good, those who have done the Father's will, right, to the resurrection of life eternal. That's the first resurrection that's up the front end of the thousand years, right? And those who have done evil or those who didn't do the Father's will to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment. So there's this judgment day. Well, everybody knows something about judgment day, except they don't pay close attention to what the Bible is telling them about judgment day, right? So they, uh, they just presume this or presume that, and, and judgment day starts with the bones on the ground, that's how Judgment Day starts. That's the beginning of the first resurrection. So, all right. I, I brought, I like to have props. I like to have something to look at other than my ugly face. Okay. I brought this symbol of love, right? This, I mean, it's also a symbol of a heart, but it's kind of a symbol of love. And, and if, you, if you caught any of that analogy of mine of the sun, now the last, you know, starting the feast, our condo, the window and the, the big sliding doors on our condo, faced directly to the east. Now, we never got on our knees as the sun was coming up. I want you to know that, yeah. right? We just never did. Okay, but, but we would sit there sipping our coffee and we would watch the sun come over the hill. Outstanding! Or supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It was just dynamite. But after a couple of seconds, the sun comes over the horizon. You can't look at it anymore. It is super powerful, right? And it's just, you know, my face is this big. The sun can warm this much times half the planet. Whew! You know, God's love is just immense and awesome and huge. And, and you know, I've often wondered, you know, my wife, 
know, before we were married, she was talking about having 12 kids. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I just, I just, you know, have trouble thinking. You know, how could how could anybody have 12 kids? And I worked with a lady who had 13, right? And and uh, you know, it's like I don't, I, I don't know they have enough love for 12 or 13 kids. Now, if I had 12 or 13 kids, I think God would help me, and I would have enough, right? But it just boggles my mind. And then I go, God, why do you want so many people? Wouldn't just a handful do? I mean, hey, couldn't you be happy with just a handful of people? Well, that's me thinking. That's human thinking. That's not God thinking. Right? I saw that scripture one time in the Bible, and it said, um, the heavens declare the glory of God. I read over that hundreds of times, lots of times. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I read it really slowly. The heavens. I went down to the Hubble Space Telescope before they took it off the IMAX theater. And, and the heavens are gigantic, right? So the heavens declare the glory of God, not just the sun. The sun doesn't just declare the glory of God. The heavens. And you go ask a scientist someplace, and he'll say, uh, yeah, yesterday we just discovered a whole new galaxy. It's like, it just keeps on and going out there. It's huge. It's awesome. It's immense. Why? Because God wants to impress us with his glory. Yeah. How big is God? I don't know. How much love does God? Way more than the sun has heat. How much glory does God have? The heavens declare the glory of God. So if you want to study that, study the heavens and you'll see. All right. So we looked at the start of the judgment period, the eighth day period, the second resurrection period, Revelation 20, verse 11, and it says, Then I saw the great white throne judgment, and him, meaning Jesus, who sat on it, and from the face of the earth and the heaven fled away, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing. Okay, those who were dead, the rest of the dead, they are now standing. Why? Because God put the bones together and put the sinew on and put the skin on them and put the air in them, <laughs> sucked up all that air, right? And, and now they're standing before God. Right? And the books were open. Oh, the books. Oh, the books. 66 books. We call it one book, the Bible, but there's 66 books in the Bible. So the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead, now alive, were judged according to what they had done in their first life by the things that were written in the Bible. And, you know, if they murdered somebody, and I have somebody in mind, if they murdered somebody and they got away with it, right? then one of us or Jesus or somebody is going to get in that person's face and say, we know you murdered them. You want us to play the tape on the screen? <laughs> we know it. Are you going to fess up or are we going to show it on the screen? Because God has tapes of everything, right? I mean, or, or, or he can, I don't know, press a button on your brain and replay it or whatever he does. That's his problem. Yeah. Okay, so... so uh, Let's see, and their works by the things that are written in the book or the Bible, what you buy, you know, against the Bible. How did you do compared to the Bible? Okay, now we look at some of the middle events of this judgment period. Isaiah 65, 18 says, Be glad and rejoice forever, for I create in what I create. 
Now, are you rejoicing now in what God has already created, is creating, tomorrow will be creating, and soon will be stepping into planet Earth and recreating planet Earth for a thousand years of peace and joy and happiness and no more war? Are you, are you rejoicing and exciting? Because he's rejoicing and exciting. He's, he's all for this, and he's gung-ho, and he wants to get this on and get this done. And, um, you know, it isn't too many years out there. A lot of Americans are beginning to go, uh-oh, something broke in Washington. And I don't know if it can be fixed. Right? Okay, so he says, uh, be glad in what I rejoice. I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and a people of joy. You haven't seen that. You haven't seen that. They had that back in Solomon's day and King David's day. They had some of that. But ever since, you haven't seen much rejoicing in Jerusalem. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and joy over my people. He's been rejoicing over us at the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And the voice of weeping will no longer be heard and the voice of crying will no longer be heard, right? People are not going to be in agony. God is going to work and fix things. Isaiah 65, 20. And no, uh, let's see. No, okay. So... I'm going to go through quickly here, but you really need to take it one word at a time and ask yourself, what is God telling me from these verses? We get to verse 20, and he says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. How many billions of infants have only lived a few days in the last 6,000 years? This very day, I don't know the exact statistics, but this very day, a whole bunch of infants will die. You know, in abortion clinics. Uh, you know, he says, That's, we're stopping that. Isn't that something to rejoice over? We're stopping that. Okay. Um, they won't live but a few days. They're going to live much more than that. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Now, but, you know, when the child who is resurrected lives another hundred years, he's no longer a child. <laughs> right? He completed his childhood right? And he became a mature person and had an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior and Master, right? So the child shall die a hundred years old if he's still a sinner, right? The rest of the verse, the sinner that is a hundred years old shall be accursed. And we know, so God is so merciful, he's going to give everybody who never had the opportunity, a clear opportunity for a hundred years to catch the vision and say, Jesus, you died for me. I will make a covenant with you. I will serve you. I will learn to be nice with people and love my enemies and love my neighbors and love you, God. Verse 21, they shall build houses. Wait a minute, this is not the judgment day. The judgment day is supposed to be, up you come, stand in front of the judge. You are guilty. Uh-huh. Off you go. That's, that's not the judgment day. The judgment day is they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards. Plant vineyards. Ever, anybody here ever planted a vineyard? Anybody? Okay. All right. It takes time to plant a vineyard, and then you don't eat the grapes the next day. You have to wait, right? And they shall eat the fruit. So people are going to have to, you know, this is what God is planning. He's planning to bring them out of their graves and have them build houses. They shall not build houses and have somebody else live in their house. They shall not plant and have somebody else eat their grapes. Uh, for as the days of a tree, how many, what's the oldest tree you know about? Uh, 2, a 2,000 year old tree. <laughs> okay, well, okay, picture a 100 year old tree, right? <laughs> That's pretty easy to do, right? Okay, Isaiah 65, 22. They shall not build 
and, and okay, I read that one, 23, uh, they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. That happens, doesn't it? Do we have children in trouble much anymore? Yeah. Right? And <coughs> the, their descendants shall be the blessed of the Lord and their offsprings with them. It's going to be fantastic. Okay, so finally, the end of the judgment day, God tells us about that too because he doesn't want to leave anybody hanging. You, we really need to have these people coming out of the graves get with the program with the hundred years because the end of the hundred years gets pretty ugly. Verse 21, verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I'm Alpha and Omega in the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of water of life freely to he that thirsts. Anybody who wants it can have it. Verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. They're going to live with God in a loving relationship forever and ever and ever and ever in their shiny body being where you can turn up the brightness, you can turn down the brightness however you need to to impress human beings, right? Okay, so in the judgment period, the eighth day period, the second resurrection period, Jesus will pour out his Holy Spirit on those who thirst. He said in John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, he cried out, if anyone thirsts, if anybody, any of the nations, any human being that has ever been alive, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And, you know, that's, that's what the song says. Come to Jesus. Learn how Jesus works. Okay, Revelation 21, verse 8, he says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, let me go back over that a little slower. It says, it, it means, if at the end of a hundred years, you began your hundred years, coming out of the grave, bunch of bones hooked together, skin sinew, put breath in you, that you looking in the face of Jesus who says, I brought you out of your graves. Now you have a hundred years to learn how the program works. Now, a hundred years is loving and merciful and kind, isn't it? It's way longer than I would give people. I would say, hey, you got five years. You get with the program and you're gone. You know? But God will give them a hundred years. Right? Now, there are hard-headed people on the planet. You have met some of them. You might have been some of them, right? But there are hard-headed people on the planet, and God has allowed that probably there will be some hard-headed people that will just simply say, Jesus, I don't care if you created the universe. I don't care if you shed your blood. I just don't care. I ain't having nobody tell me what to do. And loving, merciful God says, okay, then you don't have to live in agony for all eternity. We're just going to put you to sleep. And you'll be, you know, you won't be around, but at least you won't be aggravating other people, and you won't be suffering and saying, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. All those people are having a good time, and I just hate it, I hate it, I hate it, you know. So, so God is merciful, but, but he'll, he'll spank you good, right? Some, some of you spank your children, and children learn some good lessons. Well, God... God knows how to spank. Okay, so um, the way that finishes, the next verse, verse 9, and they surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them, which is the lake of fire, the second death. And, and believe me, you want to do everything in your power never to get anywhere near the second death for yourself. And then when your spirit being in the first resurrection then you are going to become a first-class instructor on how to help people not get anywhere near the second death. So God's great love urges us to head home 
Now, we've had uh, seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. We've had the eighth day here. God's great love urges us all to head home with a powerful desire to preach this gospel to anybody that will listen to us in the hope that they might be in the first resurrection, right? And to be involved in preaching it into all the world wherever possible. So, I leave you with tell the story to the nation.